calendar on their phone? How many have a paper calendar that they still use? Okay. Whatever you use, pull it out. Just for a second. Or if you don't use anything, there's pieces of paper all over your tables. Um, and just take, and write down two really, really important dates. October 20th and October 27th. Got that, Alta? 27th. Even if you're not here for the Family Fall Festival, be praying. Because this is really a fantastic opportunity that we're going to have to reach into the neighborhood, um, to reach people who may not be going to church. Uh, some of our preschool parents or families aren't going to church. And so this is just such an easy opportunity to make a connection. And so even if you don't have children, but you want to come and just help and make a connection, do hospitality, greet people, it's just a great thing to be able to do. So, <clears throat> and most of us probably know somebody that we could invite. Um, and if you don't know somebody you could invite, Ask somebody at your table if they know of somebody that they could invite. Um, it's just one of the easiest ways to reach out. Um, and then October 27th. October 27th. Write that date down. 9 a.m. We'll be here clearing out one storage shed and moving it to a nice, dry, warm, climate-controlled storage shed that doesn't have mold in it and you know so it's just going to be very nice it'll take us no longer than two hours if everybody helps so from 9 to 11 some people may want to go out for lunch afterwards or go out for breakfast beforehand but 9 to 11 um, the more people that help us the easier it is so it'd be great so, so. and if you can help um, you need to let Aaron know um, because Aaron is sort of championing this and organizing it. So just be able to help him. And so it's like for people like Dave and I who really have no other skills, but we could move. You know. <laughs> Whenever we're on the mission trip, okay, well, you guys, uh, what are we going to do with you? We can play cards. <laughs> so so our, parables, our parable this morning is uh, found in Matthew 13. 44 through 46. We have two parables here. One of them is only one sentence long. The other one is three sentences long. But go ahead and just read Matthew 13, 44 through 46. As soon as you say and they live happily ever after, the child will look up at you and say, do it again. Read me another. Um, they want it. They love stories. And enjoying good stories has absolutely nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with um, 
ethnicity. It has nothing to do with economic or socioeconomic background. It's just a fact of nature. People love a good story. Many of us could probably tell you what our favorite stories are. Does anybody have a favorite story? Favorite book? A favorite story? For me, The Count of Monte Cristo is one of my favorite stories. Um, I think another one is Les Mis, are just stories of redemption, stories of forgiveness, stories of grace, stories of renewed life. Other people would say, my brother read, I don't know how many times, The Hobbit. How many times did he read that? Actually, he never read it. His wife read it to him every night. Um, she might still be doing it. Um, because people like a story. Jesus knew this. He obviously knew how he created us. And he created us for our minds to be just engaged in a story. We like to follow it along. And we like to get to that conclusion. And so Jesus told stories. And those stories were called parables. And in each one of those stories, there was some kind of heavenly meaning. There was a connection there. Uh, it had a central truth. And you could ask yourself, what is the main point of each one of these stories? What is the main point of each one of these parables? What does it tell me about God? And if I believed it, if I really believed it, how would I live my life? Would my life look any different? Uh, so Jesus' parables make concrete and clear some truths uh, about who he is and about how we need to respond. And they would be harder to understand if he didn't tell those stories. Um, a number of years ago, there was a geologist named Dr. Williamson. Anybody recognize that name, Dr. Williamson? He was in Africa, and he was, in fact, he was in Tanzania, and he was driving in his truck, and he got stuck. And so he got out of his truck, took his shovel, and just started digging himself out of the ditch. While he was digging, because he was a geologist, he saw this huge pink stone. And so he picked it up, started clearing off the mud, and the more he cleared it off, the more excited he got because he found what became the famous pink Tanzania diamond, um, one of the most expensive diamonds ever. And, and he found it by accident. It was just in, you know, if he hadn't gotten stuck, that diamond could still be somewhere out there to be found. But because he's, he, he was a geologist, he knew when he saw something different, that it meant something. Um, in our parables today, we have two people who found a treasure. And when they found that treasure, they had great joy, and they made a decision to sell everything they had in order to purchase that treasure. Um, so you have the parable of the treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He found something so valuable that he had sold everything in order to get it. 
He was so excited about finding the treasure that he was willing to do whatever he had to do in order to purchase it. Now, that may sound outrageous to some of us, but when you really evaluate people's lives, people are constantly selling everything in order to gain something. And many times it's character, it's integrity, it's morality, it's conviction, in order to gain something that they want. And then we have the parable of the pearl. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Uh, Again, here's a man who was a merchant. His whole job is to buy something at a good price and then resell it at a better price. Um, to flip jewelry. You know, that's what he was doing. And it was common for entrepreneurs in that day to look for pearls in order to sell because the Jewish people didn't think that much of them, but the Gentiles put great value on the pearls. Um, and the reality is that both of these parables are parables of joy. They're parables of great joy. And sometimes in my life, I forget that. That the minute I walk through that door, I should be reminded, wow, I found something that should bring me great joy. That I should be able to look at others and say, you know what, I found something that it just, you, you can't find any better treasure than what I found. And so that that is just a sense of joy. That when we come into church and we re- remind each other of the treasure that God has given us, that we have been able to find, that should just be something that reminds us of the joy that we can have because of God's grace, God's love, God's power. Um, but there are also a remarkable message of salvation. There is the discovery. I discovered something. There is the response to it. Whatever I've discovered, I need to have. I can't, I can do no, nothing else, but I have to possess that. And then the commitment, the total commitment to saying whatever that treasure is, I'm going to sell whatever I have in order to make sure that I gain that treasure. So the joy is in the discovery of the kingdom. The joy is in the discovery of the kingdom. The discovery is so great that he gives up everything for the kingdom. But he doesn't do it begrudgingly. He doesn't, oh man, I gotta do this. I gotta, you know, I gotta write this check, or I've gotta serve, or I gotta show up on October 27th, or else I'm gonna get in trouble. Um, it's wow. I want to do this because of what God has done for me. And that's what the nature is, a full dedication to Christ. Not a painful exercise of becoming religious, but a joyous relationship with your Savior. And that's a fine line because, folks, I think we get constantly caught up with that, you know, painful exercise of becoming religious. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to be better. I got to have this. I got Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to just enjoy the relationship that I have with my Savior. The setting of the parable was easily understood in Palestine. Maybe not for us here, but for them, they would totally understand it. 
in the days of Jesus, hiding your valuables in your field was common. Josephus, a historian, wrote that people would hide that because constantly people were invading. And so if you hid your valuables in the ground, buried it, and you had to leave, your valuables would still be there. And if somebody invaded or tried to rob you, they wouldn't be able to know where it was. And then, you know, you could come back and get it. The problem is that sometimes people didn't come back. So these fields actually became treasures, a lot of fields. And so people would go and look for the, in fields. Some people would do that. Otherwise, you'd just be like Williamson. You're just driving along, and all of a sudden you see something, and it's a diamond. Um, but there was that sense of just doing that. Um, and it so it sort of reminds me of storage wars. Isn't that the one where they go in and they... They, you bid on um, storage facilities that have been abandoned, and then you see if there's any treasures in them. Sort of the same type of thing that was going on in Palestine, with just a little bit different perspective. Um, just as readily understood in Palestine was an Oriental marketplace where people are constantly spying and selling. And they're selling, you know, whatever it may be. And they're, you know, they're negotiating. And all of that has been going on. And so when Jesus gives these two parables about a field and a merchant selling pearl, everybody would connect. There wouldn't be anybody who was listening to this who wouldn't have a mental picture of what this would look like and how much sense it would make. Um, so in the first parable, or these two parables, are illustrations that in finding the most precious reality, one will pay any price and make any sacrifice to obtain its benefits. In the first parable, the man working in the field happened to come upon the treasure and responded in joy. Now, we don't know what he was actually doing in the field, whether he was working the field, whether he was just walking along, whether he was thinking about buying property and he was inspecting it, we don't know. All we know is that he found it. In the second parable, the merchant was searching. He's been looking for this kind of a treasure, this kind of a prize. The concept is both, and is the same in both parables. The willingness to surrender all to gain the valued goal. So why do you think Jesus shared these two parables? You know, all kinds of different reasons, all kinds of different interpretations. To me, one of one reason is, is that life is a marketplace. Life is a marketplace in which you get what you want as long as you are willing to pay the price. Um, every day you spend something of value. Every day we spend time we spend talent, we spend energy, we spend money in order to gain something that we're, we want out there. Not sure what it is, but people will invest their, their life in some kind of goal that they have. Um, we say a, we'll say a person spent their life in a quest 
for something. We'll hear people talk about all my life I've been driving or moving towards this goal. Uh, we spend our energies, our abilities, our strength. My, my nephew is a drummer down in Nashville. And I can't believe what he's had to go through in order to just, after 10 years, just start to get a reputation that he's a good drummer. I mean, he's drumming on the strip till 4 or 5 in the morning, doing double shifts, uh, making almost nothing, but his goal is to be that kind of a drummer. He's spending his life to be a drummer. And other people have done the same thing. But the question we have to ask ourselves: what are you getting back in exchange for your commitment? Whatever your goal is, whatever your passion is, what are you getting back in exchange for that quest? What do you consider valuable enough that you are willing to spend your entire life to latch onto? You know, what, what is valuable enough? See, the story is the same today as it was then. Today, a guy may drive a car instead of a chariot. He may wear a suit instead of a toga. She may be selling stock instead of fine linens. But it's no different. Everything, you know, even though everything has changed, it's all the same. Same issues, same questions, same concerns, same thought processes, same behaviors. So even though the external differences may be different, um, people live with the same drives, same fears, same sins, same concerns. And the answer to life's questions, which the Lord Jesus Christ announced 2,000 years ago, are still the same. The answers are the same to life's questions. We will tell people that, oh yeah, but what we're going through is so different. Yes, it's different, but it's the same. People still struggle with relationships. They still struggled with sin. They still struggle with temptation. They still struggle with greed. They still struggled with things. And they still put, made a decision, what am I going to invest my life in? It's so easy for people to see the Christian faith as being outdated, outmoded, you know, not significant anymore. And the people who say that would do well to stop and think and maybe open up a Bible, say maybe there's some truth here that deals with the issues that I'm going through. So what is the field or the pearl you are willing to give your life to? What is worth giving away your whole life to get? Financial security seems like for some, and I'll hear that all the time, yeah, but I, I gotta make sure that I'm secure. I gotta make sure that I have this. I gotta make sure that I have that. And it's not a bad goal to have. But when it becomes an all-consuming goal, finances can become an evil master instead of a benefit. Because there are certain things that finances allow us to do, like shelter, food, help others. We can you know, have generosity, which is why we take tithes and offering, because of the generosity enabled to be able to help other people. So there's nothing wrong with that. But there are also necessities of life that money cannot begin to buy. They can't begin to buy. What 
of what use is money when life's crises come? When a doctor's tests show that it's malignant, does it really matter what your checkbook says? When a policeman rings your doorbell and says, you better come along, your son or your daughter is in trouble. Do you, do you worry about the checkbook at that point? Or were you lying in bed just 18 inches apart from somebody, but 18 miles apart emotionally from that person? Does the finances really make a difference at that point? When you are served the papers that say that a relationship has died, does that does, does the finance, financial statement make a difference at that point? When you are staggered by some of life's heavy blows, um, is it really enough to go running to the checkbook and to say, ah, but I'm secure. But I'm secure. No. It's in our relationship with Christ that provides that. So back to the parable. The two parables are very similar. Each parable has a man. Both men found something of great value. In both cases, they recognized the great value and were willing to pay any price to obtain what they had found. Their sacrifice was made joyfully. But there's one big difference. Um, one found the treasure by accident, and the other one was searching. In the parable of the pearl, the man was searching for pearls when he found one. Um, we aren't told about the man in the field, but we just know that he was out there and he found the treasure. Um, at the same time, he wisely refrained from telling anybody. Whoa, I found a treasure. But instead, went home, sold everything so he could go buy the field. I find another, just a side, that has nothing to do and it's not really what the parable is about. But think about the person who owned the field. What a missed opportunity he had. Oh, yeah, I got this old field out there. It's not worth anything. Sure, I'll sell it to you. And the guy who's buying it is trying to hold back every level of excitement because he knows how valuable that land is. Isn't that true sometimes with our relationship with Christ? We sometimes really don't realize how valuable that is. And maybe even we have a tendency to sell it short that we don't have the greatest power available to us as individuals in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But instead, we sell that short and we hold on to other things as maybe having a little bit more significance. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, the point of the parable wasn't that, but the focus is on the man who discovered the treasure of truth and was so full of joy that he was going to do anything to secure it. But think about it. There are some people who enter into the kingdom, enter into a relationship with Christ by accident. And I know there's no such thing as by accident. But how many times did you have see in the scripture, somebody who really wasn't looking to, to receive Christ, but all of a sudden Christ just surprised them? Um, Saul of Tarsus wasn't looking to have a relationship with Christ. He was there for the exact opposite. He was on the road to Damascus to kill Christians, to eliminate them so that it wouldn't pollute his faith. The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, she wasn't looking for a relationship with Christ. She just wanted a drink of water. 
a man who was born blind and just wanted to sit on the side of the road and, and just wanted to see. And all of a sudden, he's a believer. Healed and forgiven. See, there's a lot of people who really aren't looking for the treasure, but God is looking for them. And God continues to open blind eyes. On the other hand, the merchant was a man that knew he was, that he was, what he was searching for. I know exactly what I'm looking for. He was like the Ethiopian eunuch, Cornelius, Lydia, the Philippian jailer, who all wanted to know how do you have a relationship with Christ. Others in the New Testament who pursued Christ. Um, the important thing is not how we find the treasure of God, whether we're searching for it or somebody is surprised by it. The important thing is that they recognize it. And once they recognize it, they respond to it. Um, and quoted from Jeremiah 29. Um, great verse. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you find, seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. God is not playing hide-and-go-seek with us. It's real simple. He says, oh, I'm here, and all you have to do is open your eyes. And if you open your eyes, you will see me. And once you see me, we can have a relationship. And that relationship will transform you completely. But if you're holding on to something else as being your God, you're not going to have the same relationship. You're not going to have the same re relationship. See, God wants us to seek out a relationship with, uh, with him. He wants us to look for him. When we seek him, we're, we're guaranteed that we will find him. It's his promise. He wants us to do that. But take a look at the flip side of the parable. The merchant counted one pearl of such value that he was determined to let nothing stand in the way of getting it. The other man did whatever, again, whatever is necessary to buy the field. Millions of people live their lives absolutely the opposite way today. They have no central purpose, no all-consuming aim. They let day after day slip by hoping that someday they may stumble into some form of happiness. Um, they just try things, and they have no plan, no sense of purpose, nothing that says, this is really what I'm investing my life in. I'm investing my life in this relationship with Jesus Christ and trusting him for the rest. Because in life, what we have is what God and we make together. God gives us two assets, existence and opportunity. Every person that's born has existence and opportunity. And how we respond to those two things makes a world of difference. See, there's a tendency that people think that automatically because I live in the United States, because of who I am, I deserve happiness. I just deserve that. You know, 
I can remember I'm talking with my brother who's an attorney. And I've shared the story before. And I was complaining about life. And he was listening for a while and says, when did you get the contract? And I go, what contract? And he goes, you know, the contract. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, the contract between, the, between you and God that said, Andy Morgan deserves happiness. You know, and that no matter what happens, I should be happy. I go, you're an idiot, Greg. He goes, I'm not the idiot. You're the one that acts like he's got the contract. And it's so true. And we don't deserve it, but in our relationship with Christ, we can develop it. It can be something that is developed in us through the, through the relationship that we have. Um, existence and opportunity is what we have in our relationship with Christ. What are we going to do with what God has given us? What are we going to do to go after life's great treasure, life's great pearl? We have a mind. Are we going to use it or are we going to let it stagnate? We get 365 days every year to waste them or to live them for Jesus. We have two people who are living together who can either make a beautiful relationship in Christ or they can just continue to hate each other. They can have a community of faith called River Valley that we embrace and we pray for one another. We do the one-on-one -on -one together. We care for one another. We support one another. And we recognize when we look around, it goes, you know, a lot of these people I would have never picked as my friends. But I truly thank God that he brought them into my life because I am far, farther, much further enriched by diversity and difference than me just looking for the same people that think and act exactly the way I do. I was with um, a guy today, this week, and he told me, he said, according to his personality profile, when you break it all the way down, there's only 1% of all the people in the world that have his personality style. 1%. And I said, man, you have to look far and wide to find somebody who's like you. And he goes, I know. And he goes, so you better learn how to celebrate the differences in other people. Otherwise, you're just going to be one of the loneliest guys I've ever met. And he goes, I've been doing that. I've been looking for people who, who are different than me. And that's what God does. And that's what we have. We have a community of faith called River Valley that God can enhance by, our, by the differences that we bring into it. We have a great Savior, a wonderful Redeemer. And when we put him at the center, at the very core of our existence, you, can, you can't shove him back out of the way. You have to keep him first and foremost. Unfortunately, what are you going to spend your life on? What are you really going to do? You get a great mind, 365 days, uh, have a community of faith. It is amazing to me how many people I talk to at whatever stage of their life, and they said, you know, I had some really good intentions. I was going to dig into his word and grow in that relationship. I was going to really develop this prayer life and the ability to just get together and pray and care for people. 
I, I intended to break off that unhealthy relationship, but, you know, I never did. I intended to quit that bad habit, but, you know, never did. I intended to spend more time with my children, but, you know, they're all grown up and they've all moved away, and I have no relationship with them anymore. I intended to witness to my friends, but I, you know, whenever I started to, I couldn't do it. I intended to dedicate my life completely to Christ, but, you know, all these other things got in the way. See, what are we selling our life out to? What treasure, what pearl are we holding on to saying, this is really the most important thing? Um, it was not that way for the pearl merchant and wasn't that way for the person who bought the treasure. Now back to the beginning of Jesus' parable. The kingdom of heaven is like that merchant. The presence of the living Christ in your life is the pearl of great price. Jesus Christ in your life is the pearl of great price. The field, the treasure in the field is the relationship with Jesus Christ in your life. With him alive in you, life has meaning, purpose, aim, goal, and potential. Without Jesus Christ alive in your life, it's going to be empty. It may be full of creature comforts, but it's going to be empty. Um, and, you know, people may not believe that because we continue to look at the people with the creature comforts saying, wow, they've got it made. Um, but they have just as many problems as people without creature comforts. It's that relationship with Christ. There's a treasure which all other treasures pale in comparison. Is he your treasure? Is Jesus Christ your pearl of great price? Have you made a commitment to Jesus Christ that says, now this really is the most important thing. All these things may be distractions, but when Jesus Christ is really the center, all those other things are put into balance. But without Christ at the center, the other things never get to balance. The person who tries to save his life will lose it. The person who loses his life for my sake and the gospel of Jesus says, will save it. So what good can it do is to gain the whole world and lose our life? The kingdom of heaven is like a buyer looking for fine pearls, who when he found one unusually fine pearl, sold all that he had and buys that pearl. Once again, Jer Jeremiah 29. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Father, I just praise you and thank you for your word. I thank you for your parables. I thank you for the truth that is so simply stated in just four verses. That what treasures are we pursuing and what is it costing us? And it's just a question that I have to ask myself on a regular basis. And recognizing that it is you that is the treasure. And that you are easily found, Lord. That you're not hiding from us. You're not trying to play tricks with us. That you are in plain view. We just have to open our eyes and be willing to see that which you have 
provided for us. Father, again, I just praise you and thank you. Ask your continued blessing upon each and every person here that we can go forth to be a blessing one to another. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said,